How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you catch a cloud and pin it down? You know, I didn't, when I wrote this, I didn't realize Sound of Music was going to be on TV last night. Who knew? I turned it on later and I went, oh, wow, that's weird. Wonderful. Yes, Maria, Maria will shape my reflections today. You know, I love the Advent season. You may, you may have heard me say that before. And the faith work that is supposed to be entailed for us disciples. Many believers, you know, decide to skip this Sunday of worship. So I'm so glad that you're all here because they want to just get on, get the stuff done and get to the big day, which is on Wednesday, Christmas Eve. And yet I think it's so important that we do take the time to slow down one more time today to unpack what really spiritually, theologically, this season is all about, and this time through Mary, Maria. While making lists and checking them twice, and wrapping packages and stocking stuffers, which I have all yet ahead of me as well, I invite you to wrestle with how Mary fits into the Lutheran role model for discipleship. Typically, on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we have the Lucan texts and the angel Gabriel's announcement of the virgin birth and Mary's exemplary reactions. But you realize that for us Protestants, and especially this one talking to you right now, Mary is indeed a challenge. The church has many stereotypes of what she represents to the faithful generations. For example, forgive me, but a friend of mine for many years uh, recently had this conversation with me, and she's a, a Catholic friend of mine. She says she's going through a horrible time, which isn't always unusual with her, but again, She says, I pray to the Blessed Virgin Mother and Joseph every night. I ask them to speak to Jesus on my behalf and to help me get out of debt. But I think Jesus is mad at me. (laughs) To To which I'm replying, don't you ever just pray to Jesus directly? No, she said. And, add, and added for my comment, and does your faith really like give you a lift in hard times? Like, how could that possibly work? So it was a question, of course, worthy of a book-length answer, uh, but I just sort of nodded and thought, well, I stewed on the ramifications of her earnest questions. Because it is a deep question, of course, to, uh, to me and to you, does your faith really do anything for you when the hard times come. Plus, you see, Advent is not just a season of four weeks and then it's over. Advent is a way of life, is the proposal this morning. For disciples and for all of us who long for God's appearing and for God's promises to be fulfilled, we are constantly asking, humanity is, Do we really believe all this? Do we believe in them, God's promises, the way God works in the world? Will we internalize them and trust them in hard times? Will we offer 
all that we are, hands and heart and soul and body, to birth God's dreams for this world? Yes, all of us are called to birth God's dreams. And if Advent is a a word that means the appearing, the coming of the Lord, the arrival of the Lord, gee, I hope it's not only a four-week period of time that God breaks in and arrives and comes and appears to us. So let's look at the Gospel text a little closer today for some insights on Mary and on her role in the birth story I'm indebted to Carolyn Lewis's insights, really. She's a professor of New Testament at Luther Seminary in uh, St. Paul. And uh, I was taken in by some of her thoughts this week. You know, Gabriel makes, first of all, an announcement to Mary that, that uh, behold, favored one, the Lord is with you and uh, has chosen her. She has done nothing. This is the biblical formula usually all the time. You have done nothing to earn God's favor. That's terribly Lutheran of us. But it is true, it's right there. There's nothing she did. In fact, she is a woman, which is one of the lowliest things you could be in that culture, and around the world today, there seems to be many moving back in that direction. She was a a teenager, kind of, 14 years old, maybe. She had no experience uh, that would make her uh, worthy of such a choice. She had done nothing to be the favored one except God took the initiative. God wanted to use her. She's an open book, you might say. No preconceived sense of self-importance. And God seeks out her young and inexperienced ways. It's always God who does the choosing in the scripture. Whether it's a prophet or a king or disciples... It isn't us that has gained the, pre- the favor and gained all the uh, credentials to be able to be finally able to be seen by God. No. God especially even works with those who are working against God, like Saul, who was persecuting the new Christians, and stoning Stephen, Saul, who became Paul, the wonderful missionary evangelists. Next is Mary's reaction after this you know, kind of announcement. She was perplexed, much perplexed, confused, we might say, by God choosing her. This is often the reaction that we all have when we are tapped for some special mission in life. What? Me? Why me? Even if it's just your little old church asking you to, ch- to join church council to share your leadership skills there or, or to serve on a committee or, or <clears throat> to teach Sunday school. Oh, <clears throat> I couldn't possibly. I am not equipped. It seems a plot that most Hallmark Christmas movies also seem to be doing this month. I've watched countless. I'm sure some of you might have peeked at one of those, Channel 240 if you're missing it, or 239 if you don't like 240. You can find it on Lifetime. There's everywhere. They're everywhere. And the plots all seem to roll around. Some unsuspecting solo parent, male or female, some business executive lost in his merchandising and in all of his uh, money, some sick child who is tapped for the special visitation by the Santa character in the movie. And the plot moves toward a stronger faith and finally a trust in the world and humanity and the restoration of love. And when a call comes to us personally from God in any number of ways to speak out 
on uh, an issue or head social ministry, our first reaction is perplexity. Okay, God chooses me, but what is it that I've got to offer? What is it that I could do? Except, of course, we must remember the good old Protestant Lutheran formula. It's what God's going to do through you. Get out of the way and let God do God's work. And Mary also objects to Gabriel's good news. Is God ill-advised? She says, I'm a virgin. And how can I be used in this way? The ultimate king is promised through the lineage of King David. And it is promised, and she also is through that lineage. He shows her with an objection. And this is indeed what we do as well. But finally comes acceptance. Mary finally says, Well, let it be to me according to your word. Here I am. And just before that, the text says, all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. And even moving one of us from confusion at God's calling and favor, through our objections, and finally to acquiesce to be one of God's instruments in this world. Let me take the words directly from Carolyn Lewis's writings this week. She says, wow, thank you, Mary. Mary's witness in the season of Advent invites us to move outside our liturgical constraints, that is, the four weeks of Advent, the blue color, etc., as part of our ritual, and imagine the meaning of a season like Advent beyond its weeks. Mary's work of responding to God's call isn't limited to four weeks' time that the church establishes as Advent. It is an everyday challenge for you and for me. As well. Mary's response, however, is honest and truthful. It acknowledges that the activity of God does not surrender to our easy assent or understanding. The activity of God does not surrender to our easy assent or understanding. How typical of all of us who are challenged with our faith to wonder why it doesn't make sense to wonder how God could work like that as if our brain was the ultimate way of rationalizing God is real or not real in this world. But most of the ways God works in Scripture are beyond our understanding, yet we as humans try constantly to fit God into a rational box. God is coming to us, and and his coming is set in motion over a series of events over which we have little control. In this sense, Mary's sense... Advent is established here as a way of life, a way of faith life, which follows the same pattern that when God taps us for service, first we feel unworthy, then perplexed, then we fight it with our confusion, our wonder, and finally the amazement breaks through and we surrender. Let it be to you as according to your word to me. Here I am, God, use me. And from that point comes the beginning of a wonderful, wonderful future. I like the thought of Advent as a way of life. Not just because I like the blue colors and I like the candles and I like the whole feel of it. But Advent is, as I said, the constant inbreaking of God appearing to us. Inviting us to do strange and wonderful tasks. To us for which we are undeserving, unprepared, and untrained. And yet, if we get out of the way, 
God can do some amazing things. There's no intermediary also that stands between us and God. I just have to to voice that. We can go directly to God, not to the BVM, bless her heart, or to anyone else in between, Joseph. We as Lutherans, Protestants, and I think kind of, forgive me, God went to so much trouble to be in the flesh with us, to be incarnate, to be so humble and little and small and able to be accessible, why do we then put him away as if he's not approachable? Indeed, God wants us to speak directly to him. What is awesome is, beyond that, God chooses always people who the world might find inadequate and unworthy How many times you go out to serve some social ministry project and your heart is completely filled and warmed by a conversation with someone you don't even know, a stranger who is suffering through things you have never experienced in your life, in our comfortable lives. And it is those people whom God can do amazing things with. We who are also unworthy in so many ways, short-sighted, argumentative, weak-kneed men, women, and children, we are called to be the birth agents of good news because it's God who's doing the choosing, God who's doing the favoring and the empowering and the intimate conversations with each one of us. No one chooses God in the Bible. It's been said God does the electing whether it's kings or shepherd boys or tax collectors or fishermen or teenage virgins or upper Dublin seniors or nursery school children. The amazing gift is God becomes us, human, flesh and blood, incarnate, and appears, makes his advent in that way to bring reconciling love without condition and peace beyond our comprehension and the end a competitive power hungriness and homelessness and war-torn world like ours. How? By showing what it really means to be human. That is, to be partner with him in a loving, grace-filled commitment. A partner with him, forgiving broken intentions within ourselves and within our neighbor and trusting the promises he brings in the darkest of times in our world when the shootings are on the news daily and Sony is hacked and we feel North Korea is coming after us, every day you turn on the news, how can we believe God is alive and well? Because you and I have seen that light and we know that God counts on us as well to be the bearers of that good news. Faith is believing through the darkest of nights. And one more thing, faith is also trusting that when God calls us, we can all respond in faith beyond our perplexity and confusion and doubts. Here I am, God. Let it be to me according to your word. 